Zor Ackerlin, and welcome to Video Game Bullshit. This is Jeffrey Wittenhagen. I'm an author of multiple gaming books, including collector's guides for both the Nintendo and Super Nintendo. I'm a huge fan of action RPGs like The Legend of Zelda and obscure systems like the Neo Geo and TurboGrafx-16. And we've got God. Hey, hey. I'm big into uh, No Death Runs, High Score Runs, uh, collector of all things vintage and retro. Uh, pretty much anything video game related. Also collect figures, vinyl, VHS, tap handles, old beer signs, and old beer steins. Please call our number, leave a voicemail or a text message at 262-264-VGBS. Now, as, as far as the very first Zelda goes, I'll say, like, once you have that, um, a good start in it, it's, it's not really, um, that tough. That's what's cool about, like, once you have enough heart containers, you can find either a heart or, like, a fairy fountain to, like, replenish. Mm-hmm. Zelda 3 is even easier because you have, like, the, the jars you can put fairies in, so when you die, they, like, bring you back to life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You don't have to, you don't have to remember to refill your health. That's also cool because, People in my school couldn't beat the first Zelda, not because of the difficulty of the enemies, but because they didn't know where to go. So the figuring out aspect. Well, and, and the whole time that we're learning where all these rupee drops are and the hearts, and like even while you're going through each time, you're honing your skill set in the game. So we played these games so much that like. I can pretty much go and beat those blue soldiers because the knights, because I can essentially just go there and attack them and not get hit. Like it's, I can do it with the brow, the, the easy sword. It takes like what, 10 hits or something per, per night. But it's like, I've played so much that it's like riding a bike. Yeah. And, uh, that's one thing I want to throw in the advantage. It's very interesting if you play with Zelda because the whole game is like squares essentially. If you look like in the labyrinth and the tiling, it yeah. kind of like tells you how it works. But so everything's super square and you get like succinct hits. Like it's amazing with the advantage. You can use the sword and go crazy. <laughs> now, the one weird thing is I had the Codemasters joystick. It was like a remote joystick. It doesn't have a cord on it. Oh, yeah. And you plug the little receiver. Mm hmm. You might not want to use that on this game because it will actually wipe the uh, infrared. I don't think anyone's ever talked about this, or unless it was us before. But no, we haven't talked about it. So what does it do? The infrared signal on the receiver will actually wipe the battery. What? That's hilarious. Yeah. It happened like over ten times. Like I kept trying to play a game. Okay, so the Codemasters joystick is pretty far. It works really good. It's, ah. the receiver is badass. Like, you can sit, like, 15 or 20 feet away. And I was just getting a kick out of, like, you know, seeing how far I could get away and play Zelda. And it was just, I don't know, it was the novelty of it. Playing it in the bathroom. Yeah, I was just like, let's see how far, <laughs> yeah, you could actually go around that hallway toward the bathroom. And you could still use, like, by the piano. Holy cow. Yeah, and you could, it was, it would still work fine. It was just funny to me, but... Then you would restart the game, and then it, all the saves would be gone. 
<laughs> There's no save. And then I finally figured out it's because of the signal. It's like wiping it. There's some like frequency magnetic. I don't know. It had to have been that that receiver was so powerful that it had to have been putting out like a magnetic thing that messed with that battery. The actual flashing of the raw the RAM. Yeah. The battery to the RAM. Like the battery probably was fine. It was probably the flashing process was interfered with the signal because the signal was more powerful than your sat- NES satellite. The NES satellite was the standard one. It's proved the battery's fine because that was the cart that I filled up like last a few months ago. Then there you go, yeah. So it must be that that crazy-ass Codemasters wireless thing, which I definitely played at your house. Um, but like, it's good. But like that, that cartridge... They, it, it's not the controller, but it has to be the receiver that plugs into the Nintendo. Yeah. Does some crazy-ass thing. That would be a really good post for Nintendo Age, like, that no one's ever really posted about, or maybe, I don't think so. People that listen to here, too, because, like, I've had people recently say that they enjoy our podcast because they're learning intricacies about Nintendo that and, you know, video games that they didn't really think about or know about. I never heard about that. Yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah, I experienced it. And I was like, what the fuck? But but yeah, so that game is really square-based, so definitely try an advantage, and it's it's really fun. Yeah, it's freaking craziness. Don't use the Codemasters. Don't use the Codemasters. That's a pretty <laughs> rare controller, though. I found two of them, too. I think I bought one from you. Actually, that is what happened. I bought one from you, and I found another one. Yeah. I wanted, like, a set, just like my, well, I got a bunch of advantages, but back in the day, I wanted two. Are you talking about the wireless one that's the uh, the wireless big joystick, right? Yeah, it's like an advantage knockoff, but it's wireless. It's the Freedom Stick. Yes. Is it by Comerica, then? Codemasters, Comerica. Yeah, the, the Freedom Those guys. Stick. <laughs> the Game Genie guys. <laughs> yeah. The Freedom Stick wiped a battery. Yeah, that'll wipe it, man. So I had that controller growing up as a kid, so think about this. Going back to my Legend of Zelda. Oh, shit. What, what if I actually was using the Freedom Stick? And I don't remember. I thought I was just using the standard Nintendo controller, but what if? And you should probably retell the story just for the sake of posterity here. Okay, so the sake of posterity. So yeah. um, I didn't actually own the Legend of Zelda. I didn't. You know, my parents, like, didn't buy me games ever, so I would always rent them. And Zelda was always out, um, so I could never rent it. But when I finally was able to rent The Legend of Zelda, I played it nonstop for an entire weekend, left the Nintendo on, because that's what we did. I wasn't really familiar with game saves and how it worked. Um, I also didn't know about the player to press up an A to save. Uh-huh. And I don't like to die. So, <laughs> in games. Sure. So, I mean... Basically, I had the Nintendo on like all weekend, and Sunday night I'm sitting there playing, and I finally got to Ganon, which nobody, as you said, nobody really got to level five. Yeah. Um, once I school. found five, it all fucking clicked, and I was able to get through six, seven, and I was playing it nonstop all day Sunday. As soon as I got to Ganon, and he unveiled the fucking game, like did the blinking light, and my save was wiped. <laughs> so I basically would have to restart the entire game, and I had to go to school on Monday and return the game. Yeah, and then you're like, fuck. 
Yeah, it's a custom top. And I was like, nah, I was pissed. And I basically swore off Zelda for a long, long time. Um, many years. Because that would be crazy if it was a joystick, man. Yeah. It could have been just being in vicinity in the same room as a freedom stick. That Yeah. <laughs> now, the room in my parents' house that I was playing the game was in my brother's old room in the back room where, like, my grandma ended up moving back there when they added the addition to my parents' house. Okay. So it was back there, but, like, that big freezer that my dad now has in the garage was in my brother's room at the time because we didn't have a garage. So that thing, I think, was, like, kicking on and off, too, because when it would kick on, the power would do a little flicker. So, I mean, it could have been a combination of all of that because it's right next to it. I used to play on the, I don't know if you remember those classic computer chairs where you don't just sit on it, but like you almost kneel onto the chair. You remember those? It was like a, like an ottoman, like a raised ottoman kind of thing or? It was like a weird thing where you had like a, a curved spot for the seat to sit your butt. And then instead of like having a back piece or being able to sit on it, like you, there was right in front of you where you put you, you put your legs, but you like basically kneel on it. Weird. I have to see the picture of that. It's a weird ass computer chair. That's what my brother had for like computer gaming. And, you know, by the time I had was playing Zelda, it was after 89. My brother was already, um, off and in the, uh, the Air Force by then. So yeah. let me look up um let me look up some pictures of some classic computer chairs while I'm talking so that way. <laughs> so so that's giving a little bit more um detail into that story though, because I haven't went into that detail, like what room in my parents' house like I, bet, I think Donkey Kong Jr. is in that room now. Yeah, my Donkey Kong Jr. um <laughs> Tabletop. Tabletop arcade, like yeah. the little cocktail. Cocktail. They're called, like, better posture chairs. But, like, I can't find the exact one. That's the thing. I got to find the exact one because it was, like, hilariously bad. And, like, they have ones that kind of look. Like, I'm just going to have to type in, like, 80s because it's a fucking 80s chair. Like, it's something that you look at and you're like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> it's like those people with their little balance ball fucking chairs nowadays. Oh, here it is! Yes! Save image. <laughs> like, you may have even seen this motherfucker, like, in my house, like, before, because I used to, it was in my game room for, like, ever. There you go, I'm, I'm sending it to you right now on, uh, cool. dude, like that. It's like a wooden little weird thing, and you, you literally sit on it and kneel. So I've never seen that in your house, but I was like, I don't even know what it is. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Catholic, like, prayer thing. You would literally sit on the top piece, uh-huh. and your knees would go on the other. It's supposed to help your posture. Did it work? No. Fuck no. I used to actually sit on the, the bottom piece, and that's why you even see on that picture I sent you, like, the bottom piece is, like, broken almost. I would sit on the bottom piece and then use the other part to write, I would, like, write do my maps for Zelda, like, on the big piece. And I'd have my, I'd rest my arms on there too while I'd play games. 
Like, so I'd be almost sitting on the ground playing. Like, reversed. <laughs> That's nuts. What a weird-ass fucking contraption, dude. That's classic stories right there. Yeah, that's childhood. <laughs> you, like, doing whatever you can to, like, get a spot to sit. Kids, kids are awesome like that. I, I literally broke that thing as I got bigger, too. Like, yeah, you can see where it would start to bust. Let the top pieces just fucking fall right off. And the, and the thing is, is like they were made out of like solid wood back in the day. So I almost want to like send that to to people online that I grew up with, like Lisa Jaranowski. Send it to him. Here you go. <laughs> Here you go. Just a random picture, which would be hilarious. Like, yeah, enjoy. <laughs> like, goddamn. Like that's hilarious though. So yeah, I was sitting on that chair, like on <laughs> the little freaking weird ass Ottoman chair. Drawing the map, too, that's another, like, aspect. It's like a freaking pirate map, you know? You're just making your own maps in your mind. And then that, like, leads to the homebrews and you know, people wanting to do their own version of the game and hacks. And... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, it's, like, <laughs> insane. <laughs> that, that's the thing, too, is that people doing their own versions of the games and then, like, it, like, leads into, like, uh, people wanting to program their own homebrews and shit. That's, like, why it exists, because they were so inspired, you know? And, I mean, Legend of Zelda is one of those games that, you know, spurred imagination to the point that made people want to create games. I mean, Joe Granado, you know, season one from our podcast, that was part of his story was he was so inspired by games like The Legend of Zelda and that's why he made his Mystic Searches game as an action RPG. And at one of the conventions, I got to see his movie. And it's a film. It's I thought it would be a documentary. It's a, actually it's an amazing documentary film. But um, because he's like us, where he kind of thinks of things a little deeper than just your average bear. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, like not recording the freaking panels at a, at a convention and things like that. But he, um, hired an engineer to break down all the crazy, insane, mundane tasks when it comes to programming NES games. So like when you're sitting there, and you want to modify one little bit in the NES game, it's not just modifying the bit in the code. The code calls banks of information all in different orders. So you have to, like, when you're programming, you have to keep track of 27 different fucking things, and if you modify one thing, it could fuck up something in number 22. It's a nightmare. So, yeah. so basically, he's like, dude, I know this engineer guy. He makes a Windows front end where it does all this, all this coding in the background automatically. So he essentially now has a Microsoft Paint style tile maker that he can edit and make changes to everything, including the how things move and how enemies react and everything within the game. So he can make edits to Mystic Searches, create levels, do all this insanity. And if he needs to make any major edits to code... He does it via this front end that an engineer, his buddy, made. And what's crazy is, okay, so, you know, he could just do that and get his game out, right? But he's Joe Granado. He's like us. So what he's doing, he's like, dude, I could make this into a thing. And allow everybody to easily create their own games in Windows. So basically, if you have a computer... You could get his program 
And he's going to take this to Kickstarter. He's a fucking genius for doing it. And it's perfect how he's doing it. And basically, if you have any artistic talent and want to make your own story, you can essentially go into his program, create the pictures however you want. You don't have to do it like we used to hack, where you ha- hack games, where you had to like see the all the different graphics jumbled all together. The pixels, yeah. You actually create the enemies, create the characters. So you create your own stuff, and you can run it on the computer live, play play your game. You also, with the click of a button, can burn that to a game cartridge and play it in your NES from that program. One click. And it's freaking... So basically, he's calling it NES Game Maker. You can make your own NES games. And he's starting with the... Because he's already made the action RPG, but he said that the engineer can like create all the other genres, like platformers and fighting games and RPGs and shoot 'em ups and everything. It's just, you know, it takes time for him to create all the different engines. So basically, the homebrew scene right now, as it stands, we're about to hit a creative explosion. Yeah, yeah, it's it's about to change the landscape. I think that we're well, because like I'm releasing my oddities book, which is gonna have homebrew in it, and I'm going to extensively cover it. And so everybody who's following my books is going to be able to find out about these homebrew games because the general gamer, even the ones that are, you know, hardcore enough to want books on it, don't really know about homebrew. So I'm about to break that open, at least at my level, um, and hopefully get it out there a little bit more, which will help. And then Joe does this. And then everybody and their mother who dis- who had a great idea and a story for their own game will be able to make it a reality with no programming knowledge. So that's what's crazy. It's like how front page turns HTML like Word. If you can work Word, you can work. You can make a website instead of having to know cooking code and stuff. And you can learn the code too. Yeah, like my blog. Basically, there's a there's a visual mode now where you essentially. Like, there's the HTML, but if you click visual, you can see the pictures, and then you can just insert picture button. And then you do, you type in your text, and you can modify, bold it, and do all this stuff without having to know any tags or anything. And HTML is simple compared to NES coding. Oh, God, yeah. Instead of coded out mathematically. Hex world. So easy. Hex nightmare. So, like, using that using that program with his game, I was able to create a screen in his game in like 15 seconds. And like any major edits, I was placing enemies on the screen and everything that were, you know, like it was all to Mystic Search's graphical engine, of course. But like I was able to, because he was having people all weekend create screens and then he makes a world based on that convention. And it was insane. And like, it was awesome though. And then we were able to play it on NES at the convention immediately. Like it literally takes like less than 30, like 30 seconds to burn the game. Done. This is a huge, this is insane. It is insane. And he said he, he just wants more people to make NES games. So does he realize how like huge this is going to be? He, I told him, dude, I was like, (laughs) it's insane. And he just wants to, like, he'll make, you know, go to Kickstarter. He'll be selling the contraptions. He wants to charge like, for the whole thing with a game cartridge and a board and the NES maker, like 60 bucks or less, Dude. which is insane. Like, like just the program, like less than 20 bucks or something. Oh my like it's, God. It, it's crazy. So like 
So basically, anybody for the price of less than a of a new game can be able to make their own, and and you can also go to Infinite NES Lives who sell the games and buy twenty of them and do a run of your game. It's fucking brilliant, yeah. Like nowadays, it's so easy to print like labels and make boxes, and there's people who do that shit. So and you could go to Kickstarter with it, and if you have a great idea, like you could release your own nes games i i think being the first couple to do it is going to be key because everybody and their mother is going to be able to do it and so there might be a influx of people wanting to do a their new game on kickstarter or something like that in the future but like i mean in in my opinion you know what that means knowing that this is going to come out black box challenge 2 is going to be an action rpg and I'm going to do it through yeah, Game Maker. Yourself. Like, too easy. Like, I'm going to make that a stretch goal for the NES Oddities book. And if we hit it, which will be about what I made for the Super my last book. Like, if I hit that, I'll be like, all right, so Black Box Challenge 2 will be a thing. And I'm going to make it an NES Game Maker. That'll be the stretch goal. And I'll use all the art that we already have from Black Box Challenge 1. Put it in an action RPG. And boom. Done. Ooh, doggy. But yeah, dude, so so that all that whole craziness, you know, all was a catalyst and started with the original Legend of Zelda, though. That's where it all comes full circle, you know? Yeah, it's like even the Minecraft stuff. Yeah. It's like a Zelda thing to it. It's just an exploration, creation type thing where it's the possibilities are limitless. And I almost think Minecraft 2 is like on a video game or in a computer like version of Legos. It's like the box thing is like what what really is similar with Zelda because there's sure. like a box element. Yeah, eight bit style, pixelated. Everything's built off of like box tiles. Yeah, like you have your bushes or your even the caves are like box segments that like repeat. Yeah, it's like a Doom. The walls are like that; they repeat like over and over again, over. Yeah, and, like everything. Everything's like that, like a sprite tiles and things yeah so like castlevania with the bricks the square bricks like that make up the simon's quest mansions are all just like square bricks everywhere (laughs) that's just like how that works so yeah with the minecraft like it's all about boxes what's crazy though is like my daughter's almost ready for like to play minecraft and stuff like that like she's because she's sitting there playing mario paint on the Super Nintendo, and she's drawing pictures now on there, like building things that she, and you can tell that they are what she's trying to be, make them. Like, she's like, here's our, here's our neighborhood, and she has houses, and the road, and, and like, so the other day, like, I got the AVS, which is the HD Nintendo for your TV. It has no lag. It's amazing. And we were playing Mario Brothers, and she can beat the first Goomba, and jump over pipes now, and like she's her hand-eye coordination's getting there, and she's almost five, which means between five and six is when we got our. We've already established like NES. Like yeah, I was, that's it. I was about because I think I got mine then hand me down maybe a little bit before you got yours or around the same time. So I was seven, eight. So that's I mean she's starting early, but she has a distinct advantage and a disadvantage. She has that classic that we've talked about in previous podcasts where overstimulus of too many choices limitation through having too many choices of everything available so when we can play super mario brothers but then we have super mario 3d world over here as well 
and everything. Like, kind of just going to let her choose what she wants to play. And if she wants to play games with me, she'll have to play some retro stuff. I actually got Zelda 2 at the same KB years later <laughs> in, like, the bargain bin for $20. It was the gray cart, though. Nice. And then I uh, I got the gold cart, Adventures of Link, at uh, Barn and Field from Mine and Mo. Mine and Mo, 
God. That's exactly how he sounded. Dude, that's exactly how that fucker talked. And he had like thinning <laughs> black baby hair, like baby fine hair, black hair. And he smelled like the worst BO that you would ever smell at a convention. Like it was cigarettes and BO, like a dude hadn't showered in fucking years. <laughs> Monomo! And he literally ran that with like his parents, which we didn't know until many years later. The, the the craziness was with Mighty Mo. That guy was fucking nuts, dude. I remember going there and being blown away because he had freaking shit you would never see. We never would even like heard of some of the stuff, like some of the bootleg stuff, the um Japanese Famicom games that he had, and like the the different adapters and. Like, there's shit there that he had that I don't think I've seen since. I've seen it online. Yeah, he'd have it boxed, and um, he had the Adventure of Link box. And I, 15 bucks for a complete Adventure of Link. Amazing condition. I was like, just, just give it to me, dude. I don't know what you're saying, but dude, just give it to me. Yeah, it was probably 15... Yeah, 15 years ago, I would say. Yeah. So, like, that's... I mean, we were hard... We were starting to collect. This would have been, like... After our high school era, and like as we had some, like we didn't really have much expendable cash. We're kind of poor kids, like college kids. But Mighty Mo was in fucking full blown. Yeah, and uh, that that was the first um, duplicate game that I got, but it was like a a variant. So variant, your first variant. Yeah, my first variant. I got the gold and the gray. Now I got all the Zeldas. like, I have, I think, all four versions of the original Legend of Zelda. So, actually, I have five. I have gold cartridge, gray cartridge, Famicom cartridge, Famicom disc, with the, um, with the manual and the little slipcase and everything, and the five screw variant for the original. Is there a is there a Famicom Zelda cartridge or how does that work? There there is. It was released later with the save feature, and there's the sixth version that I don't have, which is the yellow Zelda test cartridge, which is now like at a thousand dollars. I think it used to be at two hundred. Now it's at like a grand. I think. Yeah, it's amazing. Fucking stupid. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> how much does that Zelda um, Famicom one run? Not much. You can get it for a couple bucks, man. Easy, easy purchase for you. Time to fill up some more saves. <laughs> and I think it's green, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, I'm checking yeah. it out right now. It looks pretty. I have it CIB, so like, like I don't even have the card out. <laughs> like, I have it in the box. Nice. I have everything box. I have all the variants boxed, too. I have Zelda 1, all of them complete. I did that for all the cartridge-based Zeldas, is I have them all complete and all regions complete. So, like, I have Orcarina Time or Majora's Mask, or all of them are all complete. Like, Majora's Mask, I have the freaking Rumble Pack version that comes with the Rumble Pack in the box. It's like a big box. That's cool, though. My Zelda collection gets crazy. I love the, the big-ass shit, large treats. We're all large around here. And then my five-screw variant, I have in a Nintendo cartridge display. So, like, there's, like, a little cartridge display that Rose Colored Gaming does, where they laser etch Nintendo Entertainment System, and it you put the cartridge in it, and it displays the game upright. Okay. 
And I have that and then my custom gold painted Link to the Past cartridge too. Like, um, I have both of those on just on my Zelda shrine. But like, I like having all this stuff, like getting all the variants because Zelda's been the major creation and catalyst for all of our creativity, really. I mean, if you think about it, like, I didn't even think about like, that's the reason until we started doing this cast tonight, really, like, kind of spurs our creativity, you know? Yeah, since the, the wondrous world of Hyrule, you know? It, it is, and it's just like, basically, the world is your oyster, and you get, we get to make what, of it what we want, and then, you know, the original Legend of Zelda is just the, uh, the classic. Yeah, and you can always, you can always save it and come back to it, I mean, and you could have, multiple games on it so multiple people in the house could you know were playing at the same time so you you were watching it you were playing it it was, I don't know it's incredible once you know what you're doing it shouldn't take you can beat it in a few hours I actually usually run it over the course of a few days just to enjoy it like just to, just to like juice it out yeah man I'm, I'm sending you a picture of the uh, the the NES style Zelda shrine you can you can see that spot where you can see all the little treats like it's madness dude <laughs> like it just that picture that that's what I when I look to the right in my collection that's what I see and it's like always instant nostalgia sweet yeah I just love to drag it out you gotta you gotta drag out Zelda because it's just the best well exactly and there's no rush and of course we don't have as much time as we used to when we were kids. We had that whole thing where it would take us forever to be able to play the game. But then once we played it, we would sit down all night and play until mom made us go to bed. <laughs> you know, weekends were up up until midnight or whatever playing Zelda. Like, that's just how it is. That's how you gotta do it. Nowadays, it's like, well, I gotta go to bed because I gotta wake up and go to work in the morning. <laughs> Fun times. Responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, and um, oh, I did want to mention the first. Yes. the first Zelda is so weird because there is actually a cross, a religious uh, symbol made it into the game on both Link's it's true on Link's shield and the uh, blue and orange Knight shield. Nice, yeah, like Link's shield. Like now, was that on which version? Because on the boxes for the. U.S. ones, there's no, there's no cross. The actual Link um, sprite. Yeah, the sprite does have a little cross on it for sure. Yes, even if you if you look on the picture you sent me. Oh yeah, he's on there. I'm looking at him right now. Yeah, it's awesome. He's got the huge cross, but they took that out of like a lot of other games. So that's weird that either they forgot or they said it, fuck it or I don't know. I mean, I think they could almost justify that as something else. Maybe because it's like I think it's probably because of the Crusades. That's where that cross on the shield originated. Like in general, it's just kind of like we just identify with it now because it's so common. So I just sent you another picture. It's actually a a custom item that I found at a convention this year. And it's actually a custom painted Link. <laughs> like it's a big giant original Link. It's so awesome looking. It's like original Legend of Zelda Link. Badass ring. It's like a paper sword in his hand too oh oh cool yeah that's super old school looking and somebody made a cartridge protector that i got with a game like i think i got it with the five screw zelda or something like that's a zelda cartridge sleeve 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I find shit. Just all, anything. Yeah, that's what's cool is anything Zelda related. I mean, I got an original Legend of Zelda hat from the, from 88. I have a Legend of Zelda mug that's orange from back in the day with a logo. We, we got, we both have those, uh, those little trophy figures, the little Zelda ones. Oh, yes. Worth a shit ton now. <laughs> I finally, I finally found the Link fights the Gliok, but I got all of those at the same flea market that, you know, area that Mighty Mo was at. But later on, those guys had all the trophies, and they were selling for like thirty bucks a piece or something. We picked up a ton of them. Go crazy. They had them in the box, which was crazy. But the the little um, plastic was smoky style, you know, yellowed. So I just took the plastic out. Yeah, they still have some now, but they're they're just they've been picked through and they're missing shit. They're probably still yeah. sitting there. Though, I bet you. Yeah, they might be, and I mean, if I next time I'm out there in us when the flea market is open, I might just pick them up real quick. But probably be there too. <laughs> yeah, it might be. I mean, that's the greatness of that place. Well, and it's not. They have like a video game store there now or whatever. Yeah. But like those weren't in the video game store. They were in a toy area. Right. In a different building sold by the dude's mom. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she's like, he hasn't paid rent or he owes me money. Yeah, exactly. And so funny. So it's like I have four of those trophies in the box. And it's like, those are extraordinarily, like, expensive now. Not in the box. Yeah. Just by itself. Like, one of mine, I think it's only maybe maybe two of them, but one of mine has the little scorecards. You know, like, you would put, like, a scorecard on the front of it, but, like, those were actually attached behind it in the box. They weren't attached to the figure. Nice. Dude, those were, like, hard to even just find, period. Well, I mean, somehow you had two or three of them. Dobbin. That's what it was. Because you had the Mario kicking the, the guy, and then you had the Link with the bow shooting at the um, the keys. Yeah, we had a Boy Scout garage sale, and all the kids just put something, and the Dobbins put both of those in there, and, like, Rich was so pissed off. He was like, my mom did that, didn't even ask me. <laughs> it was just funny. See, my, my favorite trophy out of all of them is Link fighting the head of the Gliok, the fighting the uh, dragon that's amazing that's my favorite one and i got it in the box that was the best part like that's my favorite figure out of all of those a lot of the plastic shieldings cracked on some of those and what, what's crazy is we both knew about the zelda and the mario ones but and we know now but there's punch out one <laughs> yeah, that's what's so weird the the rabbit hole goes deep on that shit yeah dude like like those are so cool that they did those though and they look so 80s like it's it's amazing like i i like how nintendo used to do crazy and they've always been a toy company so it's like it's not a surprise that they did those it's just really cool and i mean i think that might be why in hindsight or in retrospect why I, with like my projects, I'm doing like a bunch of crazy extra bonus shit, like the leather covers or doing a crazy ass video game release or a box set, wooden box set with something. I think I'm doing that shit because like in our day, like the coolest shit was all the different accessories and broadened the experience. It's not, so I'm not just doing a book, I'm doing a book experience. You know what I mean? Everything related. It just makes it fucking cool. It compounds. Compiles. 
Thank you for listening to VGBS. We appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, arduous podcast. We love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to correspond with us, you can email us at bgbspodcast at gmail.com. But we also have a phone number. It is 262264BGBS. You can leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text message. Um, whatever you want to do, correspond. Also, comment on us. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. We love hearing what people um, think about the podcast. All right, see you later. Woo! Later!